I was a kid, I laid awake at night and heard the sounds of trains. There's a lot of things I didn't understand. A lot of things I'd do different if I could. I don't want to be criticized. Nobody takes me serious here. Like you? Who in the hell says I gotta like let go of this? How can I let go of this? It's who I am. It's all I know. I wish they froze me in a block of ice till it was my time when I was ready to make my move. Before I started doing this acting stuff, I was afraid to get up in front of me. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. Right now, what kind of theater does this country need? How about a theater with black and brown actors who had been convicted of serious crimes and had spent years in prison? Actors who want a chance in a society that has no time for them. Actors who ache for change. You know, that kind of a theater. For the last decade, Richard Holder has taught acting at Otisville State Prison and has formed a company of formerly incarcerated men studying the art of acting at HB Studio. Prison Monologues is a podcast that reveals the actor and his story. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. I'm Alan Winson, a co-host of this podcast, and today I'll be talking with the person who is the inspiration of Prison Monologues, though I'm sure he would argue with me about that. Richard Holder is a complete theater person and is doing something important to value the lives of the incarcerated and formerly incarcerated in this country. Richard is an actor who has won the Off-Off-Broadway Best Solo Performance Award and has appeared on stage and television, cop shows, and soaps. He is a playwright. His poems has been featured at various venues in New York City, and he has off-off-Broadway directing credits. But of particular interest for this podcast, Richard Holler has run acting workshops for at-risk youth and since 2010 for incarcerated men at Otisville Medium Security, and now at HB Studios, teaching a master class for his formerly imprisoned acting students. For this first episode of Prison Monologues, I'll ask Richard Holder about his goals for his acting students who are trying to construct a new life after prison. And along the way, we'll be exploring the reasons for the Prison Monologues podcast. So I want to welcome Richard Holder to our first, and and he can welcome me too, to our first Prison Monologues podcast. And it's during a a storm that's coming through the Northeast. Uh, We're getting tropical winds and... There's tornado warnings in the city. I don't know if it's where, up where you are, but uh, it's, uh, it's pretty wild outside. I'm, I have my window open, so we may hear some gusts of wind. Move the car away from the trees. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. And you said you, said you have a whole uh, bathtub full of water, so in, yes, in case, yes, that's always in case in you case. get cut off up, yeah. upstate. You, uh, sir, are uh, an actor and a playwright, a director, a producer, a teacher. How did you decide to get, go into theater? Um, I saw a play and I said, I have to do that. It was that simple. Um, what was the play? Uh, believe it or not, it was Bye Bye Birdie. <laughs> no, I believe it, yeah. <laughs> and it was an outside production and, and they had real motorcycles and it was just so exciting. And, and I remember there was a kid in it and I was just so thrilled. There was like a kid in the show and he was just like being a kid on stage. And I just, that fascinated me that you could be a kid on stage also, you know, with lights on you and motorcycles going around. 
I don't know, it just lured me in, and I started doing theater, you know, right after that. Where'd you grow up? Cotteret, New Jersey. I, I was, I'm from Elizabeth, uh, uh, originally lived there for a few years, and then, you know, from like second grade to I left, I was in Cotteret, which is a teeny tiny, it's a borough, actually, it's, it's not a town, it's a borough. And when you were acting as a young person, did you go to school, or did you go to an acting school, or you just took up roles? Um, you mean in high school, or? or... Well, wherever you started. Yeah, I mean, I started in high school and then I went to college. And after I got out of college, I mean, I studied acting there, but it was when I came to New York City that I started studying seriously at the Actors and Directors Lab with Gene Franco, Gene Franco Theater, and started to really, you know, really take it seriously. You began as an actor and then developed your other talents of playwriting and directing. Well, Is that right? Actually, actually, I did a little bit of acting, but I actually started directing before I did anything. I directed my first show when I was 14 years old. What was that? Uh, it was uh, a nativity play, and uh, they needed. There was a rambunctious group of third graders that nobody could control, so they called me in, and so and they wanted to do a nativity play, so we did it. We had some wild. It seems like that that alone would like turn you off the theater, just directing. Kids. But I, I I loved it. I loved it right from the start, and it was a hit. And uh, I did it like every year after that. I was the director of the nativity play. But then I, I, had, I started a theater company when I was in high school. We toured shows around in this little jalopy car that a friend of mine had. And, and uh, so I, I, was, I was really, the thing was that I had to create opportunities to do theater because even in high school, like all the jocks and all the, you know, rich kids got all the roles in the plays. And like, you know, so we had to create our own theater company so that we could work. And so I've been doing that my whole life. You have, you've been, you've been creating... Um... And we'll be talking about what you created at Otisville Prison and now working at HB Studio. You've created your own one-man shows. Can we talk a bit about that? How, what inspired you to do one-man shows? Um, or, or... I, it was, I think it was Eric Bogosian's Drinking in America when I saw that. I, I was really blown away by him. Whoopi Goldberg's show, her first show, you know, it was the first time I had sort of seen the one-person form that wasn't like a play about Mark Twain or something like that. It was where you could actually create characters and perform them not within the confines of a traditional play and I've always liked the non-traditional form I've always liked telling a story by telling stories rather than having this one long through line that goes through and so um, it appealed to me and uh, it was also an easy way to once again to create work for myself because I could create the piece and it was uh, cheaper doing it that way than getting a whole cast together and, uh, and I've done I've been doing solo work for about 25 30 years now and, and and was that your introduction into playwriting? Was the solo work, or did you? Yeah, play that was before? when I first started to write because I I always directed and acted, and I always thought, gosh, I would love to write a play. And when I started doing solo work, I said, well, I can write a monologue, you know, and then I can string together some monologues. And then my last uh, solo show was more like a play, and then I, now I have two actual play plays that that I three actually that I've written. So, and do you still perform the one X? Um, I will right now, no, uh, uh-huh. but I, I have a new piece called E that I, that I was, um, actually performing, uh, right up until this whole situation occurred. So, uh, I'm actually thinking of doing it online. I'm not sure, but, uh, we'll see what happens. Well, I, I, I would encourage you to do that. I've not seen, I've seen you on, on the boards, uh, at John Jay College, right. uh, and you are an impressive actor, uh, very powerful and you were playing a powerful role. In, in yeah, it, was that, a, it, was, uh, it was a great, it was a small role, but boy, it was like a, a gem. Let's talk a little bit uh, about the main purpose of our getting together here. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is um, 
your work at Otisville Prison, but you didn't start before you worked with acting at Otisville Prison up upstate, the medium security prison. You held acting workshops for at-risk young people in South Bronx. How did yes. you get into that work? Um, I started working for an organization called Young Audiences uh, many years ago, and uh, I gradually, uh, I kept getting jobbed into the, um, I guess the populations or, or the school, the tough schools that they were having trouble with, and I sort of gained a reputation of being able to deal with unruly kids, you know, ever since that third grade class way back when. Yeah. Um, but I, um, and so I, I continued to do that. And then um, at one point, a, a colleague called and said that there was a new high school starting in the South Bronx that was for kind of all the kids that were got kicked out of all the other high schools that they were in, and they were creating a new school just for them. And they needed somebody to come in and do something with them. And so I proposed my acting out class. And um, I went in there and I ended up being a residence there for three years and it was it was a remarkable period. These kids were phenomenal. I mean, they had a lot of baggage, there was a lot of damage, but they really responded to theater and it was when I started to realize that theater is just of all the arts for troubled kids, for people who have had difficult lives, there's something about it that they connect with immediately. And I, I think it's because they're using themselves for the first time in their lives, they're using their themselves that's a, no other way i can put it they don't need a musical instrument they don't need you know they just need to show up and they've got the stuff that they need and i think that's kind of revolutionary for some of these kids and the men that i work with as well what attracted you to this particular difficult putting quotes around it uh population why why did was there anything in your life that led up to that that led you to think this is the direction i'm going to go in to deal with no, this particular population? I would say, I would say absolutely not. I was a nerdy kid. You know, I was an artist. I wasn't a jock. I wasn't an athlete. I didn't do any of that stuff. And I was kind of, I wasn't tough. I find it amazing that the first time I walked into a class where the kids were kind of wild, I, I felt immediately comfortable. I wasn't frightened. I, I, I connected with them on, on a certain level. I, I don't, it's, it's a mystery to me still why I seem like the most unlikely guy to deal with a tough crowd, but I'm most comfortable in that environment. Most people wouldn't be. I doubt I, I would be. Do you remember that first day or the first couple of days you were at with and those kids were there and they were, I mean, I'm just imagining them running around with, you know, and screaming and not paying well, attention. Well, I mean, I've been in situations where it's been impossible to work. And, and that's not normally the kids' problem. That's the, that's the school or the administration. They put too many kids in, in, a, in a room with no uh, support, and no one can do that. that. That's just impossible. But when I would go into an environment where I would have a group of like 10 to 12 kids, and there would maybe be somebody from the school just sort of on the edge, like you, you have to have the right conditions as well. Um, and like the exercises that I use, theater in general, the first thing you do is you take all this wild, crazy energy and you just start saying, okay, good, great, you're screaming. God, scream really loud. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you just inculcate what they're already doing, but then you start to, to, to transform it and mold it and, and, and show them that they can make something out of this chaos. <laughs> right. You use what you have, which I think yeah. you always do with theater or with art. Use the materials at hand. Right. To, to, to create something. 
So you, you uh, eventually took this experience and you moved it over to the, to the adult difficult, again, I'm using air quotes here, uh, person in society, the, um, the medium security prison in Otisville prison. Let's talk about Otisville just a little bit for people who sure. don't know what Otisville medium security prison is. I've been there, mm -hmm. I taught one semester. But describe to me when you first went to Otisville, you first saw it, what did you see? Well, I rode up to the gates with uh, a colleague, you know, who was bringing me in, <clears throat> pardon me, to teach a class. And, you know, just to look up and see these 20 foot high gates with the barbed wire on the top and handing in the ODs and then watching that slowly open. And the, the, that's, you know, it's, it's sort of, you feel like you're in a movie, you know, because I hadn't had that experience. I'd, I'd done some workshops on Rikers Island, which is pretty intense, but, but um, I hadn't been like out of the city like that upstate, as they say, you know. The most affecting thing for me the first time I went there was we had to wait uh, behind the gate while the men who were going to the programs, who I was going to be teaching, passed through. And these men were all in green and they were just trudging down this road carrying these these um, very flimsy bags that they give them neck bags so that they can see what's inside of it. And I, I, I had a wave of emotion when I watched them. It just, it, it, it was like something out of Exodus or something. It just really, really was watching these men just knowing that they do this every day and, and they're just way outside of everywhere that means anything to them. Yeah, I, it, I think we should also mention that Otisville Medium Security Prison is upstate it's in the hudson valley it's on yeah. the side of a hill uh mm -hmm. besides the uh, razor wire and the iron gates it's beautiful it's, it's a gorgeous country. pristine country gorgeous country there's, deer all sorts of animals around there's, there's yeah, a mate. horse there's a little horse farm right next to the to the prison Isn't right there? if you can if you can stop in one part of the prison and, and look at it and just get your eyesight away from the uh any kind of wire or any kind of buildings or something you're you feel like you're in one of the most idyllic places yeah you can find that's you know, where you'd want a vacation gorgeous. there and these yeah. guys are walking around outside with their little see-through bags yeah. going from class to class or from dorm to dorm and with, within those walls how, how did you uh get chosen or how did you how did you get into that i was, I was doing a class? reading of a play of mine called fathers and sons and um my friend David Rothenberg, uh, who's he's got a show on WBAI, he's the guy that founded the Fortune Society. He asked me to do a reading at the Fortune Castle up in Harlem, and I went up there to do a reading because the material fathers and sons resonated so much with these men who most of them never had fathers or had very brutal fathers. And um, we did the reading, and afterward a guy named James Abar came up to me and said, I see that you do some teaching. Uh, would you mind coming up and doing a one-off at this little theater workshop I have in Otisville. And I said, sure, you know. And that one-off turned into 10 years of uh, mm -hmm. like seven productions and, and now an outside class that's, you know, outside of the prison with formerly incarcerated men. It's a, like one little yes turned into 10 years of, you know, amazing things, really. It's, it's, it's become your life in a lot of ways. Yeah, it, it, has, it has changed my life, you know, fundamentally. When you first met the men that came to that first workshop, what were your feelings when you saw them? They were prisoners, maybe violent. You didn't know who they were. I saw actors. Wow. 
I walked into the room. They were all standing around waiting very politely, very patiently. There was a, quite a crowd. And I said, okay, everybody in a circle. I put a piece of tape on. I have this little X I put in the center of the floor, which is they always wonder, like, who in the hell is this guy who's putting an X on the floor? What's he doing? Were but you in the gym a, at the time? No, I was in a classroom. One of the regular classrooms. Yeah, one of the regular classrooms. Everything had been moved out of the way because right. I had told them ahead of time I needed space. And I got them all in a circle, and we went around the room doing our check-in. And, and I, I had prepared, it was a two-and-a-half-hour class, so I had prepared all this material. I only got a third of the way through my material because they were so hungry for this work. They, they went into it in such depth that I, I was like, it was 9 o'clock, and I was like, oh, my God, I've, I've got all this stuff left to do, which meant I had to go back. <laughs> yeah. And as you say, it turned into uh, what has been now a 10-year commitment. Yeah. You are out at Otisville every Friday. Every Friday night. Uh, from for every, every Friday night when it's just normal. However, right. when, when we're doing a show, I'm there, you know, as the show approaches, I'm there every Wednesday and Friday, then Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then two weeks before the show, I'm there pretty much every day. This is a real commitment. I mean, yeah, it, it is. You, well, it's a show. It's a show, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, whether it's in a prison or not in a prison, when you're doing a show, there's just so much work involved. And, of course, in the prison, it's even more work because they're constantly limiting what you can do and changing the rules and removing guys from the cast. And I just want to, again, congratulate you for doing that. It's a, you, you live up there near Otisville. I know that's where you are now, but about a right. half hour away, which right. does make it easier. But that commitment to be with these men who are magnificent. I mean, I, I was just there for You've a seen their time. work, yeah. I've yeah. seen their work. I, they are literate, they are smart, they are committed, they are um, you know, committed talented. to the work, they're talented. Um, Intuitive. Well-read. I mean, I taught a film class, so mm -hmm. it's different than, than, than what you were doing. Uh, could you say a little bit more about the sort of things you do with these incarcerated men who are in prison? Is it the same as any other acting class? Um, it, it's the same, I mean, I, I teach a lot of acting classes, uh, I, when I was doing my solo work, a lot of times I would do it, I would do, uh, sort of a, a, a master class afterward with kids from the, you know, area and things like that. And I, I, I use the same basic, uh, exercises with everybody, regardless of age or background. Um, but, but the exercises that I do are geared toward opening people up, which I guess most exercises are, but, but acknowledging where you are like in the prison acknowledging where you're at emotionally like i always say you have to start from where you're really at that's how you get a truthful performance you don't put something on you know when i was a kid i used to think acting was about being somebody else and when i started to train professionally i found out that acting was about being myself being who i am bringing that melding that with the role and that's what i teach that's what i pass on with them and when we get in their circle that first day that i went to the prison that time I says, all right, everybody just tell me your name and in one or two words how you honestly feel right now and don't bullshit me, don't tell me all right and you're excited and all this kind of shit. You know, I mean, if you've had a really bad day, let me know. And they would, you know, and it takes them a while before they can really get honest. But, and it's really such an affirmation. I remember a little girl come up to me once in Harlem and she told me it was her favorite exercise. She said, because uh, all, the, all the schools she'd ever been to and been kicked out of, nobody ever asked her how she was really feeling. <laughs> These men have gone through shit. Yes. In their lives before prison, 
obviously in prison. I mean, we can yes. just imagine, even if you've not yes. been there, and after prison. Right. They go, they go through different kinds of levels of, of shit. Right. Um, in asking them to perform, there must be times in which that shit that they're living in comes out. Yeah. Does it ever get dangerous? No. Um, I mean, there are t- we've had, you know, we've had squabbles between guys. I've never had a fight. I mean, like, like I've had fights in the schools in South Bronx. We've had fights. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the prison, never. But I think there's a whole different atmosphere there. But, yeah, I ask them to go to some places that they don't want to go to sometimes and to unearth things that they don't want to do. You know, it, it, it's interesting that you said the baggage that they have. I mean, there's an exercise we do where they have to tell their whole life story in five minutes. Wow. And I want to tell you, you put five in a row, you know, can't do too many in the same day because it just gets too heavy. You hear the same story over and over. The same exact kind of story, no father, the drugs, the guns, the violence, the neighborhood, the poverty, you know. And and it's like sometimes when they're working on a role because of the material that we choose, they need to draw on that. Something that they're trying to block out they need to go back and touch into it. And, and, and it, it, it's a delicate job. But one, when they do it, and once they realize they can elevate that into something else, and they can create a role and, 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 and create an event in a play that touches other people's lives, they see the value of owning everything that they've done. You know? Yeah. It seems like in part your job is also clinical or ther- therapy. I mean, it, do, you, do, you, do you take that on also? Well, I remember when I first started studying acting, I remember I said to the, about the acting teacher, I says, what is he, a therapist or an acting teacher? You know what I mean? Because he kept talking about like all these, you know, your mother and your father and all, you know. But it is, it's real good acting. Like I said, you have to draw from who you are and you have to also take off the mask that you've been wearing. At some point, your students at, uh, at Otisville decided they wanted to do a production. Right. There wasn't enough to have a class. They wanted to do something with this. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. So, that's so human. That's so, we want yeah. to create something. And you put together a production, or you and them put a production called Tough Love. Can you talk about that? Tough Love was a, a collection of, it was my first time out, so I said, let me go with what I know. And it was a collection of monologues and scenes uh, from published plays mostly and then there was I threw in one of my pieces in there because it was fathers and sons and they really wanted something to they wanted that theme and um, and we I just put it together it was like I said I love non-traditional stories and um, it was yeah, I mean we were able to invite people in it was it was remarkable how they came together I mean all we used were, were like three cots and two chairs and you know, a couple of those net bags, you know, there was, there was, it was so simple. And yet the language, the, the, the literature was great. The, and the pieces were wonderful. I mean, I lost one of the men right before we opened, which was really hard. But um, what, what, <clears> that was the only why did you really, lose him? Where did he go? He had a fight in the, in the um, cafeteria. Somebody pushed him and he pushed him back and he ended up going to the box. Solitary. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, but, and the thing that happens in the air is like when that happens, it happens. There's no like in schools, I've had kids get, you know, ex, uh, 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 what is that called in school when they expel you or, or not expel you, but they suspend you. I've had kids suspended where I've gone on my hands and knees and begged the principal, you know what I mean, to let him do the show. Well, that's not the case at 
a state person, you know, if they, if he's gone, he's gone and you have to deal with it. And that's the hardest part of this job is when you work with somebody and you watch them open up and you watch them really create something beautiful and then some stupid thing happens and they're gone. Right. And, and it's a loss for us, but it's a loss for them because they don't get to bring to fruition the thing that they've been really working on, right. which is themselves, really. Where did you draw the uh, literature from for Tough Love? Um, I drew, well, one of my favorite playwrights, well, no, I would say my favorite playwright is Clifford Odets. I use a lot of him because they got, I found early on kids really respond to that. They just love his passion. They love his anger. They love everything about him, his, his, his working class ethic. Um, the, um, and then, you know, Tennessee Williams, Arthur Miller, you know, David Mamet, you know, like Sam Shepard, you know, people playwrights who 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 I like maybe I don't like all their plays but there are certain plays that that I like and they gear, they they are the right material for people who are in crisis people who have ha have tough pasts and a lot of violence in their past it's like these pieces really speak to them and 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 I I choose the material you know that I love and that I believe is right for them and that turns out to be the same material and you do have audiences for these productions, and you've been we doing do. them. You've been doing them every year since time. Um, every it's usually in the beginning it was like every two years, and then it was every year and a half, and now it's every year. Right. Who so who's the? I know eventually you got family members to to come in. Yeah. Why, the, fir the why first was show that, that we did, we 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 do it for the prison population, of course. Yeah. And then we also I'm able to invite outside guests, uh, people that I know. You know that they are vetted and that that come in and watch it, and then, like I said, eventually we have a special performance for the family and uh, of the of the men. And, uh, and in the last couple of years, they've changed the rules, which is unfortunate. What was beautiful about the mixed audiences, and we would have an audience like let's say of uh, there would be like fifty guys from the prison, and then the first two rows would be left empty in in the theater for. Uh, for outside guests. So the outside guests would come in, they would sit in the front because because the, the CEOs want to make sure they can see all the guests, you know. And then afterward, there would be this talk back where everybody would talk, not just the men on stage, but the men in the audience as well. And for the first time, you would watch people who would never have talked to each other before having these incredible conversations and tears and laughter and and it was a wonderful kind of event. The play, it was oftentimes as powerful as the play had been. But recently they've decided that if, because of the drug problem, that's what they say anyway, that, that they would have to strip search everybody if there was outside guests coming in. Like my men always had to be strip searched. And that was the price they paid for, for being in the show. But now they were saying they were gonna strip search the entire audience so that so we lost our audience of inmates because they were like, I'm not going to this. I'm not having them humiliate me like that. So I I said, I says, all right, we're just going to have outside guests separately and the men separately, because ultimately we're doing these plays. We're doing this theater for the men who are incarcerated. It's nice when outside guests can come, but this theater is for them. And they were not coming because of the rules. So I had to give up this lovely thing that we had. I, I mean, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but right. there is a um, there is an importance to letting others see this life in prison, yes, uh, and see that we're dealing with human beings and not not bad objects, right? Um, 
And uh, I, I think that that's what you're doing. Eventually, let, let's talk about it, another play that you did, Inside Out. Inside is, Out yeah. is, is a play that the men wrote. Um, and because um, after we did Tough Love, I said, well, what do you want to do next? And they said, we want to do the same thing, only this time we want to write it. Yeah. I says, okay. So then we turned the workshop into a writing workshop for a while, and then we went into it. And uh, that was amazingly successful. And actually, we are now in rehearsal for a, 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 a remix, a reboot of Inside Out that we're going to be doing online opening in October. And the material all centers around prison, and it and it's the real deal. It's the real story. It's not what you most of the time see in the media on television and films. It's these men are really telling it like it is, and it's not like you would think it was like all oh, horrible. Some of it is extremely funny, yep. And some of it is chilling. This was uh, planned with your actors who are now outside of Otisville. Right. Uh, who are, you're working with at HB, and I, I do want to talk about that. But uh, I read in a piece that you wrote about your experiences in doing Inside Out originally that one ca cast member of that production had been constantly stopped in the yard right. to be told how good he was. And he said, and you quoted him, nobody ever told me I was good at nothing before. And he was like riding on, I got cloud nine. Right, in, but, in, but when, his, when he said that, to us at the postmortem after the show, he he was on cloud nine and then he started weeping. You know, yeah. because when he realized he was that getting that was recognition true. for something he, he <laughs> right. was doing well, which he had never got before. Right. God, how important is that to tell our children, "I respect how you." How good they are. <laughs> how good you are, especially they exactly. do something that's that's good. I mean, that's right. good. Yeah, and and this guy never got that. No, and and the beauty of, of the work, their work is so good that when I tell them, oh my God, that was great, I'm not blowing smoke. I'm not, You're not. trying to be a do-gooder. I'm telling them the truth and they know it. I've seen it. I've seen <laughs> yeah. it. And that's my next question. What, and you started addressing this earlier, what is this talent of these men who have had such horrific lives? What is it that, I've seen them perform in your online um, performance that, that you Talk did earlier. Talk to me, yeah. Talk to me. They were magnificent. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard them speaking the lines in such truthful ways. I thought it was something they were making up in the moment. And it turned out to be Clifford Odets and William Inge and right. uh, um, um, you know, August other... Wilson and Robert Anderson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tennessee, Tennessee, Williams. Tennessee Williams. What is it? What is this talent? Where, where is it coming from? They, they're, they're not formally trained, except I've noticed you've done it. I mean, I, I, I've trained them as best I can, but, but they, I mean, they obviously come to the theater workshop because they have some interest in theater, just like all kids are drift into a, a, a drama club because they have some interest in it, like I did when I was a kid, you know, their lives went askew, they, you know, but there's that interest is still there. And once they commit to that and follow through with it, I think it's because they are innately talented. And they respond to the training and to the technique. There's a kind of desperation around them so that when we're in class, their focus is so intense. There are no distractions like, you know, in, in life. They, it's, this is all there is. And I think that they, they move along a lot faster and, and, and they, 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 they develop a lot quicker in a way. Yeah, um, 
I like that answer, and I think there are other answers too. Right. Um, and I mean, maybe as we move through this podcast, we could talk about that because we will be talking with the actors right. about about their experience. There was one of your students who developed a one-man show, and it then played for a year in a Times Square theater called yeah. Bullpen. Tell us about that guy. Well, he was a wild man, uh, Joey Asadorian. Um, he did a seven-minute sketch for Inside Out that stopped the show every night. I mean, people just, I mean, literally, we had to stop because people were, were hurting themselves laughing. And I said to him, if you give me an hour of that, let's see what we can do when you get out. And he gave me an hour of it and he got out and we rehearsed the show. Uh, and, you know, one thing led to another. I mean, I called some colleagues. He did it at the Cornelius Street Cafe. They went nuts. We did it at the Fortune Society. Producer saw it there. That's how we got the run. And it was um, it was a remarkable, I mean, he's a remarkable actor and writer. And... Uh, so it was it was one of those kind of things, but of course you know I mean it la it lasted I mean I think a year off Broadway run is fantastic you know what I mean so, pretty good uh, yeah yeah what is he doing now um, he's doing a lot of writing and then I think he still does perform the show from time to time at special events and things like that say his name again Joe Asadorian Joe Asadorian okay well has he done any film or um, he's done a little bit of TV. I I saw him in a little clip, you know, like a little, you know, uh, you know, featured role. Uh, he's really good. I mean, he's 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 the real deal. Right, right. Dealing with the uh, with your actors, uh, your students at Otisville, sounds like a real joy. I mean, a blessing for you, as well as for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll tell you that that the the hardest thing about this whole pandemic thing is that it's been now four and a half months since I've been to my Friday night workshop. And, and I'm, I miss it so much, I can't tell you. And I didn't realize how much, I guess, it really meant to me. Because I'm always dealing with problems and shows. And, oh, my God, these guys didn't show up. And I'm always fetching. But, but I feel the loss right now of not having that regular connection with them. I hear that. But you also have to deal with the prison authorities. Yes. I mean, that's part of your job, too. That, that is not enjoyable, I imagine. It depends on who it is. There's, there's, a, uh, uh, there's, a, cup, there's a new woman who runs the, um, the programs there. She is fantastic, supportive. I, I, I can't speak highly, uh, uh, more highly of her than anybody there. She's been really terrific. So that has changed the tone. And there's a couple of COs that are great and supportive. And then there's a couple of very angry, sad people who need to make everybody else miserable too and that's hard dealing with them mm -hmm. um you know it's it's funny i had this <laughs> i don't know if you want to hear this but i had this, this one ceo who was particularly nasty and she was a much older woman we used to joke and call her mammy yoko i mean like which is terrible we shouldn't go there but i remember she kind of looked like mammy yoko and she had that kind of you know all she knew was the corn cob pie. but she was just so just so awful all the time just would be mean for no reason she was constantly pulling guys out of my class she got me in trouble once because i crossed the road when i wasn't supposed to and i had the sergeant you know it was all this stuff and i really 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 did not like her and we were the last show we were doing we ordered pizza and somebody made a mistake and they ordered two extra pizzas 
and everybody had eaten. We had this extra pizza. And she was over there and somebody had heard her say, oh, uh, they called her grandma there. They said, grandma wants some pizza. And I said, she will get a piece of pizza over my dead body. You know what I mean? Like I was that kind of thing. And then something came over me. I don't know what it was, Alan. I just said, you know what? I'm going to try something else. And I got up and I walked over there like somebody had possessed my body. And I went up to grandma, Mammy Yoakum, and I said, you know, we have some extra pizza, and if you would like a piece, uh, you're welcome. And she says, she goes, oh, no, no, I don't want any of that. And I says, well, I just wanted you to know that you're welcome. And I walked away. A couple of minutes later, I saw her over and get not one but two slices. And from that day forward, she has been a dream. Now, I mean, I'm not going to say she's, it's all hugs and kisses. She has not given me any grief. Two pieces of pizza, that's all it took. Wow. <laughs> There's a life lesson. Right. <laughs> There, there's an investment right. worth a dollar fifty. Right. <laughs> um, it's amazing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, you're now working with your formerly incarcerated students. They're now at HB Studio. You, right. you were at the HB Studio, but now you're online. Right. Uh, you were going. Uh, you are going to be producing Fathers and Sons, uh, a, a remix of it, and you were going to do it on stage. In I think right. December, but now you December, can do it yeah, in October, but it'll be online and and we'll right. we'll we'll keep people informed as to when when that happened. And at that point, I would like to talk more about this this theme of fathers and sons. And sons. And how I, I know that it's it's it. in every show. It's <clears throat> it works its way into every show. It's an important theme for me. I mean, I I mean, I had a brutal abusive father i mean that, that's my past and so i so there is something there i think if there's any connection i might have with the men it's that we we know i do know what it's like to not to not have a father but to have a father that i almost wish i didn't have do you know what i mean because it was just so so i think there is that connection and so we 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 all gravitate toward that but but so many of these men are now parenting children and 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 trying to be the father that they never had you know, and it's a it's a real it's a subject matter that just never gets old and never gets tired because it's it's a lifelong uh, attempt. Yeah. We hear we hear a bit of it in the introduction to prison monologues because we ended with um, a quote about I I I want to be the father I never had. Right. Yeah. A chance to be the father I never had, which yeah. is it's quite a laudable thing yeah. to do you know what yeah. i mean to fly kind of fly blind and yet do the best you can right what is the future where are you going with um your um your, your actors i think you call your program acting in and acting out acting out it's called I, acting out called, called yeah. acting out okay yeah at hb studio are you just going to continue with what you're doing past the pandemic eventually get back to the boards we want to get back to the boards and then uh, the the year 2021 was the year we wanted to start bringing in women so that we start to make it a full company, you know, I mean, because uh, I've only worked in men's prisons, but 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 like I want to bring in women, I want to be able to do plays where we can show the totality of the human experience. And, and these, these would be formerly incarcerated women. Formerly incarcerated women, yes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think at this point, I would like to talk a little bit about this podcast that we're creating, right? Uh, inspired by the work that you're doing and your students called Prison Monologues. Can you give us your take on it? What What is it we're doing and why? I mean, I, I think it's, you know, there's a double entendre, you know, uh, that we are going to be 
we're starting going to start out by interviewing a lot of the, the men who are right now performing monologues and will be performing monologues you know pretty much through the rest of the year but i think we're also going to get to hear from them in monologue form you know what i mean you know their experience firsthand you know where they've been you know what happened to them and and what life is like now because of their finding a connection to the arts while they were incarcerated you know at like one of the lowest points in their lives they found something that lifted them up and these guys are continuing to uh, hold on to that uh, you know even though they're out of prison now and i think that hearing that story or those stories are really important. I, I think that at the heart of this, you know, for me, and this is, you know, I say my agenda, but I do, I mean, the arts saved my life. And I believe that it is a life-saving thing. And, and, and especially for these men who have been so damaged and so mistreated and before they even went to prison, you know, that, that there is something so uh, healing about the arts and about theater in particular. And, and I, that's, those are monologues that I want to hear. I want to hear how, because, and I've talked to them, it, it, it's interesting because like I'm, int I'm, I can't wait to hear them be able to speak, you know, because in class we're so busy working all the time that I get little clips and little bits and pieces where they talk about these things. But to be able to have them just sort of sit back and really tell us what it's like, you know, to grow up how they grew up, to experience what they've experienced, to find something that means so much to them, and then to carry that out into the world and, and own it. I want to hear those stories. I want to hear those monologues. I do, too, with the purpose of creating more humanity and a more understanding of the fact that we're all living and dying in, in, a, in a very racialized society yes. that is uh, treating some of our, a great deal of our population in, in very evil ways. Um, and I, I don't want this to be um, <laughs> spectacular or just people mm -hmm. kind of listening for the, you know, the awful things that happen to their lives, but to listen for the humanity. I know, well, one of my guys said the other day, Chris, he said, because uh, the, the last talkback we had, we had somebody else moderating and it got a little political and the guys got uncomfortable because we felt like we got off point of what we were trying to do. And Chris said to me, which I thought it was, he said, he says, he says, we don't have to talk about Black Lives Matter. People just watch the show and they will know that Black Lives Matter. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Exactly. <laughs> right. Just, I, I want to meet this person. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to meet this person as a yes. person and then hear him perform. Yeah. And eventually hear her perform. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, I and how wonderful it would be if it, down the line, too, you know, with these kids, like the at-risk kids that I've worked with, you know what I mean? Like, there are these kids out there. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have, like, a, you know, 14-year-old yeah. amazing actor get up here and tell his or her story, you know what I mean, or their story, you know, whatever the case may be. I am looking forward to working with you, Richard, on this. Um, yes, I am looking forward to working with you as well. And uh, I hope it gets listened to all over the place because um, I have a feeling this is going to be a good thing. It feels like a good thing already. I mean, and, and, and I mean, talking about this, it's like I 
to talk about what you love. How can you go wrong there? You know what I mean? <laughs> How could you go wrong? How could you go wrong? Right. It sounds so, so Jewish. How could you, right. Well, you know. Yeah, it's good. Come on. I grew up in the Jewish community center. It rubs off. Right? I hear it. I hear it. Yeah. Richard, Richard Holler, thank you so much for uh, getting us started here on Prison Monologues. This is episode number one. Don't get blown away. Um, no, I won't. Yeah, just to keep, keep your feet on the ground, and we will, we will continue. All righty. Thank you, Richard. Thank you.